I had a very calming yet powerful conversation with Jaya Ro. She is known to be one of the most influential speakers on the Indian philosophy including Vedanta. We spoke about the concepts of Vedanta and knowing the self. We spoke about the importance of swadharma and how can you find your swadharma and that constant emptiness that we feel even though we are achieving all of our materialistic goals and how do we really fill that emptiness? So tune in, listen in and get inspired to start your inner journey if you haven't already and keep meditating. Pranam Jayaji, such a pleasure to have you on uh, Pragyan. Um, actually not just a pleasure, it's ab- an absolute privilege uh, because you know I've heard so many of your lectures and each one of them have a new insight and I almost feel like I come out knowing what I can now focus on for the next couple of months in terms of just um a vision or a vision or a charter for my life so uh, thank you for doing this so i really want to start with asking you you know is there a transformative moment in your life uh, that really made you commit to this in such a deep way yes uh, when i was very young i used to read uh, books by swami ramatirtha who was born in 1873 and moved on in something like 1902 19 when he was 32 years old so i never met him but his books come alive and uh, i was in my 20s early 20s when i read his books and there was a statement there that changed my life and that statement was if you're not happy as you are where you are you will never be happy wow and right at that moment i wanted to change something around me so i thought seriously i said either i'm right or he's right <laughs> and however arrogant i may have been as a you know young people tend to get arrogant i couldn't bring myself to believe that i was right and he was wrong so i said let's go with it and i changed all my plans and i decided to be happy as i am where i am that started my spiritual journey beautiful how old were you when this happened when you read this and you sort of had this epiphany 24 25 amazing i don't remember exactly but yes around that time around that time incredible and how did you get exposed to these books i mean was your father reading them did you go to a library because you know these days you tend to consume everything on social media so yeah my, well social media wasn't there then yes. <laughs> but uh, my grandfather was a doctor my nana ji and uh, but he was very deeply interested in philosophy in vedanta he made all his grandchildren learn swami vivekananda's address in the parliament of religions by heart and many of us my cousins uh, won elocution competitions because of this oh. you know they learned it by heart and yeah. spoke it so i was exposed to this from childhood and uh, I heard Swami Chinmanan when I was 7 years old my mother took him took sorry my mother took me to his lecture and uh, I didn't understand a word of what he was saying but it made a very deep impact on me and you know sounds uh sights smells make a deep impact on children where then later in adulthood it all comes back to you So which true. is why in our culture you have camphor you have the smell of uh, diya being lit you have a uh, prayer a bhajan being sung 
you have the visual of the the idol you have the arti all of this comes back to you uh, and there is an association of ideals you know? and so then it leaves you with something if you yes. didn't if you weren't able to resonate with the feeling then you were able to at least resonate with the smell which then keeps bringing you back yes. uh, to want to explore much more yeah, i didn't quite know how i was going to do it but i knew that the direction of my pursuit has to change from wanting to change the world to changing myself lot of humility in there yeah i mean i don't know about humility but it uh, it made sense and that started my inward journey and it has paid rich dividend yeah so you just learn to accept things as they are we're all in pursuit of some sort of happiness um and we're always wanting to be happy and the way we think of it is that 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 happiness is always round the corner is that one car away one holiday away one promotion away what has really been your learnings and also the teachings of the of the bhagavad gita which talk about happiness and how do we all achieve that happiness that we are in constant pursuit of see first of all it analyzes that if happiness okay you believe happiness is outside if happiness were outside the same object should give the same quantum of happiness to everyone that doesn't happen true so take a cigarette for instance one person smokes a cigarette he gets immense pleasure out of it another person who's a non smoker uh, the same object the cigarette gives immense displeasure so it cannot be in the object true then where is it could it be that we are chasing a mirage all our lives when the water is elsewhere in the opposite direction is the question we need to ask ourselves so how is it that we attribute it to the external world because as long as you have a desire the mind is agitated when it is unfulfilled the moment the desire gets fulfilled the mind comes to peace for the time being at least so you wrongly attribute your happiness to that object happiness is actually when the agitation of the mind ceases the mind is calm you're happy so that uh, false fulfillment of achieving that thing makes you feel like it's giving you happiness but yes. it's only for that momentary uh, joy that you get it's not something which is going to last no it has nothing to do with the object yeah it is just your desire is fulfilled you're happy the desire could be anything true and so how do we find that happiness then yes so this is the search this is the path that uh, vedanta the bhagavad gita gives us and it actually gives us a formula for happiness uh, chapter 2 verse 70 for instance gives the formula for, for happiness which was originally given in the kathopanishad and kathopanishad got it from earlier gurus and what does what is yes. the formula the formula is happiness equals number of desires fulfilled divided by number of desires harbored right okay simple now if you take it as a mathematical formula a equals b divided by c if you want to increase a what must you do decrease c either increase b yeah or decrease c yes where is our attention where is the whole world going our focus is on b, b the numerator but 
we fulfill desires, B increases, happiness doesn't increase, A doesn't increase. Why is the question we never ask ourselves? If you ask yourself the question why, you might arrive at the answer. Because while your attention is on B, the numerator, C, the denominator, also increases. Let's take an example. You are, let's say, a morning walker and your shoes have got spoiled, so you need a new pair of shoes. Perfectly justifiable desire. So you go to the mall. But as you enter the mall, somebody says, here's a limited edition perfume we've uh, just introduced. Try it. <laughs> so you get the spray. And you say, hmm, nice. Second store, iPhone 15. Displayed. You say, wow, nice. Third, you see a piece of jewelry. You say, I like it. I always wanted something like this. Fourth store, luckily for you, is the shoe store. So you buy your shoes <laughs> and walk out of there. What have you done? You fulfilled one desire. B, the numerator has gone up by one. What's happened to the denominator? Going up. Gone up by three, right? Perfume, iPhone, jewelry. And the credit card bill has also gone up. <laughs> and your, but your happiness has shrunk. Yeah. <clears throat> this is one experience. Like this, every experience is is increasing your denominator without your knowing it. So, you find this is the disease of the affluent who have everything yet are not happy. No, it's very interesting you say that because everyone who is um, looking at reading the news or looking at social media or television and hearing these stories of millionaires and billionaires and in most times we feel power in money is going to get rid rid me of all my pain and my agony in my life. And then once I get there, I'll be happy. Uh, and to your point, it's not that they are happy when they are there. And so then really begs the question of what you just explained, which is this is what's going to give us happiness, which is reducing our, our desires. Yes. And what does then the Vedanta and the Bhagavad Gita talk about reducing your desires? How exactly. do we get there? So the first thing that the Bhagavad Gita or Vedanta says is that you cannot reduce desire. You cannot get rid of desire. You can only pick up a higher desire. So go back to your childhood. As a child, we all had millions of desires for toys, right? You couldn't pass a toy store without asking for something. Today, do you have desires for toys? <laughs> no. <laughs> Did you at any stage in your life take a decision to give up desires for toys? No. Then how did they go? If you understand that, you will know what to do now. How did they go? You grew. You grew to a higher dimension. You grew to higher desires. So you learned how to, someone on your birthday gave you a bicycle. And the thrill of balancing on that bicycle, riding the bicycle was so great that toys dropped of their own accord. Yeah. Then you became a teenager. And the first crush you had and the first time you fell in love, it was so uh, enticing and so fulfilling that the everything went out of the window. True. Right? This is how you moved from one desire to another. Now, as a full-grown adult, all of us are stuck with certain types of desires, physical, material desires. How do you overcome them? Move up. 
unfortunately there is no vertical movement there is only horizontal movement you yeah. move from one car to another you from you move from a car to a private uh, aircraft all of that but there is no vertical movement what is this vertical movement you pick up an emotional desire and all physical desires go away like a mother you know there are poor people living on the streets they have perhaps not eaten for two days but when the mother gets some food she automatically gives it to the children she is hungry but when she sees her child eat look at the expression on her face fulfillment so emotionally when you are satisfied physical desires don't bother you then you pick up a an intellectual desire you know youngsters in delhi mumbai all these big uh, big cities uh, who are uh, living luxurious lifestyles who have friends uh, all kinds of things they decide to go to the us to pursue a doctorate phd i met a young girl in when i went to lecture in purdue university she left behind her lux- the luxuries she left behind her friends even her boyfriend she left behind to pursue that doctorate because she was uh, totally enchanted with the concept that there must be a doctor before her name yeah you know? so that is intellectual desire and then when you pick up a spiritual desire when you what do we mean by spiritual desire when you start asking questions like why was i born what is my purpose in life when will i die and where will i go after death these are all questions that you will never find answers to but they take you in a different direction yeah i think the part you mentioned about purpose of life is something that is really always enamored me and so if we can talk a little bit about that sure because i think all of us are looking for that purpose and it's also now post pandemic everyone is looking for that purpose because they've realized that just making money or being comfortable or having a family is not enough you still don't feel that fulfillment within your heart there's always this vacuum and this sense of emptiness so how do we really fill that emptiness and what is really our purpose you hit the nail on the head from birth to death from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep we are haunted by this sense of emptiness something missing a void in within us that drives us to from experience to experience so thoughts arise in our mind and these thoughts go out into the world to obtain objects and beings to fill that void so true yeah yeah these are called desires the problem is you go out and fulfill many desires that emptiness doesn't go it doesn't even reduce so the question is why because that emptiness is not for real had it been for real you could have filled it even there is a bucket that is empty you can fill it with water but if it is full how can you fill it it's already full yeah so what vedanta tells us is that even as you experience this haunting sense of emptiness you are in fact full completely full paripurna is the word they use purna full paripurna supremely full then what's the problem for some strange reason you don't know you're full and when you don't know you're full you become a fool hmm. so let's take a story and then we'll understand in a state there was 
a great flood and 10 feet of water everywhere everyone the majority of the people died including the royal family the entire royal family died except for the three month old prince the governess in her wisdom put the infant in a basket and allowed it to float away and then she herself died but before she died she told everyone the prince is alive the heir to the throne is alive find him when the waters receded there was a statewide search for the prince they couldn't find him 20 years later they were still searching they didn't give up the search there was a beggar begging on the streets and the royal guards came picked him up and took him to the palace and he was yelling i haven't done anything wrong i'm just a beggar leave me they took him there took a sample of his blood and dna matched and they knew here is our prince the heir to the throne so they first gave him a scrub a shower <laughs> because he was filthy put royal clothes on him put him on the throne and placed the crown on his head and said your majesty you are our king he said what does this mean they said you give orders we follow them he said okay make way they made way he bolted he wanted to go back to his life as a beggar because this was all very strange to him yeah they caught him put him back and said your majesty we've looked for you for 20 years we're not going to let you go now he had royal blood in him very quickly he became an outstanding king everyone loved him adored him so the first anniversary of his coronation they had planned a great celebration the king gave his security guards the slip and went out of the palace with a little bag containing the same dirty beggar clothes so he changed into them and went begging on the same street in which he was begging for 20 years now he is begging his experiences are the same some people say hey where were you for so long gave him a bonus another guy said this idiot has come back again get out same thing he went through a year back but within him there's a world of a difference yeah who is he now who was he a year ago just a nobody a beggar was he really a beggar he was still the king a year ago yeah the difference is a year ago he did not know he was king and that made all the difference so similarly and you know this example fits so perfectly i mean this is incredible the beggar doesn't have to do anything about his lifestyle he simply has to know that he is king and continue life as a beggar it's okay he will be entertained he will be amused he will be happy as a beggar as much as he is as a king the difference is only in the knowledge same thing with us we imagine an emptiness within it's an imaginary emptiness and this imaginary emptiness is making beggars of us every morning we go out into the world as beggars isn't it you say i want money i want love i want recognition i want an award i want to score a century in the world cup <laughs> yeah but then are you saying that we don't actually acknowledge that we are full because we're constantly looking for external validation and social stamps to feel like we deserve all of this or that we are great because you know 
the stamp of the king suddenly brought this knowledge or for us it's a lot about i have achieved this and i have become popular i am now you know a corporate leader or i am a successful cricket player and suddenly i feel at least interimly that now i have a place in society and 100 people are looking at me and so i must be great but if i am just who i am i'm still great right but we do yes. all of that to get that external validation and feel comfortable in our skin because we don't know we're full yeah absolutely once you know you're full it doesn't matter what your lifestyle is it's like the most brilliant actor you know in a play is often given the role of a popper <laughs> and the worst actor is made a king, king. <laughs> because he just sits on the throne he has no role to play yeah that popper plays a the actor plays the role brilliantly and we the audience are all moved to tears but he is not affected by the poverty of the role that he's playing because he knows i am mr actor playing a role yeah so that is what we need to know we need to know who we are that we are complete within ourselves we are full within ourselves and we don't need anything so even if you fake it it works true you know the beauty of life is when you don't want something you get it <laughs> yeah and you chase after it and run further get. away so there was a i live opposite a college here in mumbai so once a young boy came to me and said i need to talk to you i have a problem i said sure come i said what's your problem he says very sheepishly he said i've fallen in love i said but that's not a problem He said, "No, you don't understand. She doesn't love me." So I said, "How do you know she doesn't love you?" He said, "I invite her out to wherever young people go, and she gives some excuse or the other." So I said, "Stop calling her," and he pounced on me and said, "I'll lose her." I said, "My friend, you haven't even gained her for you to lose her." <laughs> so I'm telling you how to gain her. Just feign indifference. Pretend that you're not interested in her. then what will happen he said i said what just what have patience 3 days later he calls me and says very triumphantly guess what she called yeah this is what happens so even if you pretend you don't know it works if you genuinely from the bottom of your heart don't want anything because you have gained merit within yourself you know Oliver Goldsmith one of the most brilliant poets in, of English literature was thrown out of his apartment because he did not have rent to pay yeah <laughs> true william shakespeare was one of the few who was at least recognized in his lifetime most people brilliant people were recognized after they went yeah so now look at there are uh, if you were to ask the most brilliant painter or the musician or a writer author don't you feel bad that you're not recognized you know what he'll say no because just the fact that i have reached this level of merit is enough for me because i know that the world only understands mediocrity oh my god it's a big big mm-hmm. challenge you go above mediocrity people don't understand so they treat you like any ordinary person yeah excellence is not recognized so you know that and yet you achieve it because you are capable of it and the journey makes it worth it right 
So tell me um, a little bit more about, you know, what are some of the basic concepts in the Bhagavad Gita or the Vedanta that can inspire many of us to take this inner journey of knowing that you're talking about? See, what do people generally want? They want success. They want material prosperity. They want inner happiness. Now, just these two don't coexist. In one person. Yeah. You want both. The Gita gives both. And the third most important thing is it helps you to realize your potential. The Gita gives completely opposite routes, roadmaps to them. For instance, how, with what attitude do we act? Work. We act, work with the attitude of taking. Right? Yeah. We go say, hey, I struck a real bargain. I negotiated and got a good deal. The Gita says, work with the attitude of giving. And that makes for prosperity. That makes for success. So how does it work? The law is that when you give, you gain. Hmm. Grab, you lose. This is this is the truth. This is a law. This is like the law of gravity. So, and we are all working against it. So what prosperity will we gain? Maximum three generations wealth remains in a family. Isn't it? Yeah. One guy makes it, the son willy-nilly maintains it, the grandson squanders it. Yeah. So it depends on which generation you belong to. True. But if you want sustained growth or growth, success that blends with happiness, then you must give. Because all givers are happy. Yeah, I mean, the it's joy. It's the takers who are miserable. You know, you go to kindergarten school and watch the kids there. On a Monday morning, one child comes and says, uh, you want? My uh, father got these chocolates from London over the weekend. And she's distributing the chocolates to her friends. Watch the expression on her face. She's smiling. Another child says, no, it's mine. <laughs> Frown on his face. Why I'm saying what children is because we adults fake. They can't. They're genuine. Anytime you think of taking, think of um, negotiating to your advantage, you're miserable. And so at what point in our lives do we move over to the other side where we are constantly frowning and taking? Because when we are born, like you're saying, we're born with this natural tendency to be collective. When do we suddenly move into this individualistic gain and forget about the, the larger good? From childhood, we are brought up by our parents to say, beta goes to school, study hard. Why? So that you may get good marks. Why? So that you may get a good job. Why? So that you may be prosperous. Yeah. Which parent brings up a child to say, so that you may do service, so that you may do good to the world? And this is the foundation of Indian culture. Loka Sangraha, well-being of the world. Not just India, not just your community or your family. The world. That giving must be instilled. You know, the 10th verse of the third chapter of the Gita is something that every man, woman and child in this country must learn by heart, must live it. It says, 
when the creator created the world, humanity, the human being was created with a special gift, the gift of sacrifice. No other creature, no other species can sacrifice consciously. Then he says, with this, may you prosper. Means without sacrifice, without giving, it is impossible to prosper. Let this be the Kamadhenu of all your endeavours. Kamadhenu is a mythological cow that's supposed to reside in heaven that fulfills all your wishes. But here he says, sacrifice is the Kamadhenu. You work in a spirit of service and sacrifice for a higher cause, all your desires will get fulfilled automatically. Beautiful. But we don't do that. We don't do that. So therefore, we need examples from the world. Yeah. And that's my job is that I just pick up examples from the world. You know, the, the company which has the largest number of drug stores in America, uh, in 2014, their board took a decision to stop the sale of cigarettes. Because they said, if we are committed to the health of people, we cannot sell cigarettes. Yeah. So they took off all tobacco products from their shelves. That was a major decision because it was a loss of a revenue of $6 billion. Wall Street frowned upon them. They, everyone was saying, what are they going to do? They will go bankrupt. You know what happened? They made more profits than they ever did before. Yeah. The stock price went shooting up. No, and I think we need to hear many more of these sorts of stories, right? Because we always hear how greed is good, how when I actually benefit for myself and my for my company, everyone grows. But we're not incentivizing enough of these sorts of yes. good behavior in the corporate world or in generally in society. Uh, therefore, we are not motivated to follow it. So this is it. And every one of us can achieve that with just the shift in attitude from grabbing to giving. On my way here, I was explaining, when you're at your jobs, don't look at what you will get, whether I'll be recognized, whether I'll get a commission on the additional sales that I've generated, whether I will get a promotion, don't look at that. Because that doesn't matter. What matters is that you have dedicated yourself, you've contributed to the organization and you grow into a towering personality. Nobody can take that away from you. Yeah, I mean, even the Bhagavad Gita says that, right? Focus on the work that you're doing. Don't think of the pal, don't think of the outcome so that you can just focus yeah. on that. But, you know, how do you then define dharma in the modern world, you know, because the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita is all about oh, I'm protecting the dharma and therefore no matter what I'm doing uh, is okay because I'm on the right side, so to say. If I'm on the Pandava side, I'm on the right side and I'm protecting dharma. So what is that in the modern age? Dharma, from the philosophical standpoint, see, it, it runs into many pages because in sans Sanskrit language is a very flexible language. So the same name word, dharma, can mean different things in different contexts. Okay. But in the modern context, uh, I would interpret it as your nature, your essential being. So inside you, this the body is your outer personality. Inside you is your inner personality consisting of the mind and the intellect. 
mind. The mind is the realm of feelings, emotions, love, hatred, jealousy, so on and so forth. Then beyond the body, mind and intellect is that which gives life to you. That elusive thing called the spirit or Atman. Atman means self, literally. Which you can't put your finger on, yet it's there. And without it, no action is possible. Yet it doesn't act. So your what Vedanta tells us is that your dharma is not the body. Your dharma is not the mind and intellect. Your dharma is spirit. And what is interesting is spirit is, is present in equal measure in all of us. Yeah. So the point is not every one of us is hugely talented like a tennis player or a cricketer. Not everyone is born with superb vocal cords like Lata Mangeshkar. <laughs> not everyone is born with a silver spoon in the mouth. But all of us have spirit in equal measure. So you tap into that and miracles start happening. You know? That's... And any one of us can tap into that spirit. And we as Indians have more than our share of spiritual content. You know, you speak, my hair stands on end as I speak about it. It, it touches a chord deep in you. And then it doesn't matter. You could be like, there is a verse saying, Mukam karoti vachalam pangum langhayate girim means with the spirit, a lame person can climb to Mount Everest. Yeah. A mute person can speak eloquently. This is the power that we have within us. Which we don't know. We don't know, we don't tap into, we are oblivious to, we are indifferent to. What a tragedy. And so what is really, you know, when you go out and give these lectures and talk um, to people across ages, across countries, what is that, how do we start this journey then? You know, what should really the youth or Indians broadly who are listening to this start their inner journey to find out and tap into that power because we're all looking at what career should I choose? How should I do this? How should I, how can I make more money? And here you're telling me that I'm sitting with this treasure inside me, which can give me the infinite. And yet I'm looking constantly outside of me. So how can I start that inner journey? See, we reach out to where the person is. So if a person says, I want money, said, here is the formula to make money. <laughs> Work in a spirit of service and sacrifice. Somebody else says, I want to be happy. Take the formula for happiness. So you have to go back to what you want in life and find it in Vedanta, or at least those of us who are in this field provide it. And then they realize this is not the only thing that the Gita provides. There's much, much more. Then they get hooked on to that. Yeah, because... At this point, everyone thinks that the Bhagavad Gita is either there's association of it being a religious text or it is something which is so fluffy and so esoteric that it's not for me. I need to first establish my career, establish my family life. And at some point when I'm, you know, done with everything and One I can't move. In the grave. <laughs> yeah, and I can't move. That's when, of course, I'll start my journey. You know, what do you have to say to people uh, who are in their 20s? And I was literally having this conversation, uh, you know, with uh, my team here just before you came in. 
where they were like yeah you know right now i'm busy building my career i'll i will do this later i don't know why i need to start meditating or why do i need to even read the bhagavad gita right and so what do you have to say to people like that why should they not start now see first of all you have to clear the misconceptions number one it is not a religion it is not an opinion of one person it's a law it's a collection of laws hmm so when you say i don't have faith in it it's like saying i don't have faith in science <laughs> Yeah, I don't believe in the law of gravity. God help you. <laughs> True. So that dispels it. To reject Vedanta because it is a religion is like rejecting the law of gravity, saying that it was discovered by a Britisher and I live in India. I don't respect it. Whether you know it or not, whether you respect it or not, it will work on you just as much as it works on anybody else. That understanding must be there. Number two. Yes, I want to make money. Do I know how to make money? All these years you've been struggling to make money. Where have you got? You haven't even reached a million. Where are you? When are you going to reach billion? And those who have reached the billions have reached there by accident, or they were born in it. Very few, no, hardly anyone Not knows really. how to get. No, and to that, right? Every time somebody makes that billion, or even if you see virat kohli making that century they will always look up and thank thank that bigger being and they know that there's something more and bigger than them and we look at them and we see them doing it and yet we don't look at what is that higher being that they're talking about and why don't i try and find that instead of only becoming like virat kohli why can't i just start my journey to to that and i think what you're saying is that the bhagavad gita the vedanta shows you that path yes see most important thing is most of us are have self limiting beliefs you talk to a kid and say maybe you can become a sachin tendulkar or a virat kohli he'll say who me no i can't hmm? ask him uh, maybe you'll become richer than the richest guy in the world today he'll say what be no that is the first thing that needs to be smashed so i remember even as a child my grandfather uh and remember i was brought up in a different kind of environment where women didn't did not even get jobs i mean people got degrees only as a passport to marriage <laughs> he told me don't let the fact that you're a woman come in the way of your excellence Incredible. because he was ex- he sent his own daughter to do frcs in england in 1952 unmarried girl and when i wanted to go to america to do my thing my mother said first get married i said you are regressive your father was more liberal ahead of his times yeah so that is what it makes you uh, you know it it expands your vision and it makes you believe that yes i can if you can so can i if virat kohli can so can i and it's been proven physical abilities um education none of that comes in the way once you have this will to do it that commitment yes to follow your dreams and it's not only for yourself then you have a larger vision i'm doing it for my team for my country for my, for the world for the for generations to come and what is that incredible strength that we get when we are doing or working towards something that is bigger than us 
See, what happens is the power of the goal then resides in you. Suppose you say, I'm working for the country. Then the power of the country rests in you. You speak, you're not speaking as an individual. You're speaking on behalf of 1.4 billion people. That is the power you get. Automatically, you don't have to uh, fight for elections or any such thing. Yeah. Just sitting here, you gain the power. But that surrender must be complete and total. To the cause and to that vision. Yeah. So, you know, we constantly talk about the ego. And uh, it's always looked upon as something which is not great. It comes in the way of your spiritual progress or just generally progress in life. Um, how do you see ego? Does it also have a positive side? And, you know, what is really the ego? What is the I? See, basically... The ego is like is, is the individuality. So when you're born, you're an individual, you automatically have the ego, that you're separate from the totality. So it's like on the surface of the ocean, you know that we name the ocean different names, but actually it's just one body of water. Yeah. Huh? So on the surface of the ocean, a little bubble forms. And that bubble says, I am a bubble, different from the ocean and different from other bubbles. Then what happens? It feels insecure, it feels small, it feels the need to swallow up other bubbles and become bigger and bigger. And it does all of that. Then when it becomes biggest, what happens? The bubble bursts. So, in the progression, in the life of a bubble, if the attention is on the bubble, the individual, then you go through the traumatic changes. But if while the, the bubble is still there and it is expanding, growing, your attention is on the ocean. I am the ocean. Then what is the difference? Only Nama Rupa is different. Name and form is different. Yeah. Yeah? But I am the ocean. Then whether I am a small bubble or a big bubble or the bubble has burst, with reference to the ocean, nothing has happened. What has happened? Nothing. Volume of water is the same. Everything is the same. The only difference is that little bit of hava that the bubble has enclosed. The pumping up. <laughs> so then egoistic person is just hava. Is an illusory concept that I am big. I am important. Yeah. So you change that. Identify with the totality. Then you don't feel insecure. You don't go through all these traumatic changes. And then you have the ego of the of the ocean. And I am the ocean. And it's then it's no longer ego. Hmm? Because you are the you ultimate. You are the ocean. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. You know, the other thing I also want to ask you is that what are some of the crucial values and virtues that you feel as individuals we must inculcate and constantly be working towards? Because I think we're more and more moving away from values and thinking more and more of materialistic gains. There is a place for that. I'm not discounting that. But how can we do it in a way that it's collective and value-based? See, uh, values means the use of your subtle intellect. The intellect, buddhi, is of two kinds. One is called tikshna buddhi, gross intellect, which operates in the world. And it distinguishes between pairs of opposites without placing a value on it. Profit and loss. Things like this, day and night, black and white. There's no value. That is what you need to operate in the world. You want to learn nuclear science, physics, chemistry, you need the gross intellect. 
But we as humans also have a subtle intellect, sukshma buddhi, which is referred to as the conscience. The conscience is that which tells you this is right, this is wrong. The viveka. This is higher, this is lower. And that gives you the values. For instance, if a business person were to be offered, given a project where he'll make tremendous money, guaranteed profits, but it means the environment will be badly affected. His conscience kicks in and says, then I will not do it. That is the conscience that all of us have. No, I agree with you and it sounds very nice and very idealistic, but I'll tell you, you know, most people who are listening or, or want to live a life, which is so to say, living life with the right values, always feel like they're getting the raw end of the stick. You know, because you are in the minority and the whole society is moving in a particular direction. So you kind of feel like, even though I have the vision that it will pay me in the long term, but in the short term, I'm getting the raw end in the stick. So how do I develop that faith to just keep sticking on and choosing what is tougher, choosing what is right, uh, choosing what the Vedanta says about the larger good? You know, wh- how do I develop that? I'm so glad you answer. You asked this question because this is a question that, that torments people. So f- the answer to this is what you need is not just to be good. You also need a powerful intellect with which to navigate the challenges of life. Just an, an outstanding example of this is the personality of Krishna himself. Krishna was the only person who as a child knew what was happening, that there were people uh, sent to kill him. No one else even knew. So he was left to protect himself and he did it brilliantly. Right through his life, if you read the, just the life of Krishna, he went through various challenges where sometimes it seemed as if his values needed to be compromised. But he, without compromising the values, he used his intellect to get the better of evil people. So this is very, very important, particularly in modern times. So it's not enough to be good. Then you'll be walked all over yeah. by people. Yeah, you must have a intellect that is powerful enough to to be one step ahead of the evil people, which you will be. With this combination of goodness and strong intellect, no one can get the better of you. And so, how can learning more about uh, the Bhagavad Gita also help me be successful in my materialistic life? Or, I mean, not or and. Uh, why is it that it's, it's crucial for me to have that knowledge, uh, for me to le- lead a more fulfilling life? See, the first thing is that life is not easy to live. It's a technique, a skill, an art that needs to be learned and practiced. That's why I said it should be taught to kids as young as seven years of age in a different way. So that by the time they graduate from school, they are well fortified to face the challenges of life. Today at 16, 60, people are not <laughs> equipped to fight challenges of life. So that is the, the technique of living that needs to be learned. And success, you will be surprised in the third chapter, verse 30 gives the prescription of perfect action. 
you follow that you can't go wrong you will be successful so it consists of six points first three are help us to generate energy within ourselves and the next three help to avoid dissipation of this energy how do you generate for you to work you need to generate energy right yeah. people don't have the energy they wake up tired and then by the time they reach their office workspace they need a cup of coffee to work themselves up no so true why don't they have energy because they don't have a goal they have no idea what are you working for ask anyone my paycheck my salary that's hardly inspiring enough who's there who says i'm working for whatever something bigger than themselves for my team for my country like why is the indian team doing so well in the world cup because they have said themselves have said everyone works for the team for the country and if you analyze it a little further they have understood that if the team doesn't do well if they don't work for the country they will lose their income so true yeah absolutely right so you have to align your personal goals with the collective goal the higher the goal that you work for the greater the energy that you have focus on one goal like they say a cricketer must breathe cricket live cricket sleep cricket dream cricket then he'll be like virat kohli second you must love what you're doing it must be sacred to you which is why in the indian culture you take a look at the not malls but small shops trader shops every employee comes does a namaskar to the shop before entering the shop owner does a puja before he does the first trade why because it must be sacred to you otherwise there's no uh, so well said surrender. this is so beautiful what huh? you just said you know we don't we lose this in our daily life of just going into office and the yeah. mund- mundane we tend to forget that there is something much bigger than us and to that goal if you surrender you gain power the following week there are elections to the union leader and as it happens the same guy wins he's now the union leader he represents the interests of 600 workers how does he approach the boss are confidence. confidence he doesn't bother to ask the secretary just barges in and says these are our demands meet with them or else where does he get this power from that he has surrendered to the well-being of 600 workers similarly you surrender to the country you get 1.4 billion you surrender to the world you get 8 billion surrender to god you get infinite power wow yeah it is true it is palpable it is something that each one of us can can experience can feel and live and then why will you feel insecure you have everything exactly so this lack will not be there because because the you've... laws of nature surrender to you it's like prahlad the fire could not burn him similarly you surrender to the country you get 1.4 billion you surrender to the world you get 8 billion surrender to god you get infinite power so this six these six points if you put into action you can be an outstanding success 
I also want to come back and talk to you, you know, when you read uh, and you, when we've all grown up watching the Mahabharata every Sunday morning and, you know, it almost seems like this incredible soap opera with so many relationships, uh, dynamics taking place, right? And so I really want to come back and say, because we're really in this day also struggling with fulfilling our roles in these relationships, whether that is because I'm trying to find love or I'm just trying to be a good daughter uh, or a better friend. What does really the Vedanta and, and Bhagavad Gita have to advise me on that? <laughs> I'm glad you asked this. Relationships is a big topic that people are uh, concerned about because relationships are breaking down. And uh, the Bhagavad Gita addresses it so beautifully. It gives the difference. But in fact, it pinpoints the cause for problems in relationships. And that is attachment. What is attachment? Attachment is, put very simply, love plus selfishness. So yes, you have the love. But selfishness comes in the way. And how does it operate? You have expectations of the person. You make demands on the person. And when these demands are not met with, you get frustrated, you, you get angry, and there are bitter quarrels. So what Vedanta says is that why is this happening? Because of a lack of self-sufficiency. Emotionally, we want crutches because we are incapable of being by ourselves. So you need to twirl around. It's like a creeper. Creeper yeah. needs a, to twirl around a tree. So we need to twirl around a husband, a wife, children, this, that and the other. And we are wholly dependent on that person. So... We relate to the person from this wrong sense of dependence. And the moment you, the human psychology is such that the moment you understand the other person is dependent on me, you don't want the person. You reject the person. And you say, why should I? So it creates problems. The, the irony of the situation is only a Vedantin, a person who is self-sufficient, has the capacity to have good relationships, but doesn't need them. <laughs> and the rest of us who need relationships are hopelessly dependent. So what Vedanta says is, first gain some element of independence through study of the Gita. And then learn to have what they call as unconditional love. The ability to say, I love you. For what you are, not for what you can do for me. <laughs> like a pet dog has. The pet dog doesn't care whether you wear Nike shoes or Bata shoes. Doesn't care whether you have a luxurious home or a small apartment. The dog just loves you. Do you believe in an afterlife? Yes, I do. But it is based on reason. The Bhagavad Gita, Vedanta, gives the law of karma, which is the overarching law for all human beings. And an aspect of that is the theory of reincarnation. It's called theory because it cannot be validated. There's no proof to it. And uh, we respect that. Vedanta respects it. So all that they did was they gathered data and found that the whole world functions on cause and effect. That's the law of karma. Yeah. Now at birth, you find a whole lot of effects that have come into being 
where there is no known cause. And at death, there are a whole lot of causes that seem to disappear into nothingness. No, no known effect. They just connected the two. And then it makes sense. And then you have these freaks who remember the past life. I know a, a case in California, a lady who used to attend my lectures. She, she has two sons. Her younger son remembered how she came to know is because she, the son would keep saying, not you, my other mommy. Wow. And she took him to a little uh, road and he screamed. He said, this is where it all happened. So apparently they had an accident. That's all that he could remember. And she asked me, should I probe and find out? I said, no, let it be. Because this forgetfulness is a blessing. That yeah. you forget the past is a blessing. And I keep joking with people. You remember one wife is problem enough. Suppose you were to remember your wife of the past seven janmas, you'll collapse. Isn't it? <laughs> How can you deal with seven wives? <laughs> so, it's a blessing. It allows you to start afresh. You spoke about uh, seven wives, right? And that brings me to <clears throat> Karva Chauth and so many of the other rituals that we follow. And yet when you read the Bhagavad Gita, there is no mention of these rituals as such or there are no mentions of even idol worship or temples. And yet those are now a very large part of how we think about religion and God. What is your view on this? In a way, it's sad because Vedanta, the Bhagavad Gita, gives the philosophy, the knowledge. Now, not everybody is capable of understanding the knowledge or has the intellectual bandwidth to grasp it. So, what they did very brilliantly was they uh, interpreted this knowledge into rituals, into norms, into idols and things like that, where symbolism is a very important aspect of human life. Like even in Western countries, the wedding ring is sacred. Yeah. You know, among Indians, we have no sanctity for anything. You know, Mangal Sutra is worn whenever convenient, when convenient, not worn. But there, the wedding ring is worn as long as you're married. And when you're divorced, you're not married, that comes off. You don't continue wearing the ring. Because it, it symbolizes the sacred union with this particular person. So the national flag represents the nation. The national anthem represents the nation. It's a very strong association. Like we began with, you know, yeah. smell, taste, sound. Similarly, there is an association, they created this association of idols, of puja, the rituals, uh, the mantras, the, the songs that were sung with God. Because for the benefit of those people and for children who are not able to connect with concepts, mm. intellectual concepts. Now, over the last millennium, David Frawley says, for one millennium, there has been a disconnect between the Indian people and the culture. Over the last millennium, we've lost this connect. So ask anyone, why do you worship an elephant god? What is the meaning behind Lord Ganesha? No one knows. Yeah. But they may very faithfully, very devotedly worship 
Ganesha. This is the problem. Other people come and say, why are you worshipping an elephant god? Why are you worshipping monkey god? No one has the answers. That's where people like us come in. We provide the answer. But we owe it to the rituals because but for the rituals, the philosophy would not have come down to us. Very interesting. But we've now got so stuck with the rituals that we've forgotten the philosophy. Yes. So the way out is not to give up the rituals. The way out is to reconnect with the philosophy. And when you understand the philosophy and you internalize the philosophy, like Havan, Havan represents the concept of working in a spirit of sacrifice. So when you understand it and you're living it, you don't need to perform the ritual. Yeah. So uh, when you grow into a higher personality, the rituals may drop, may drop, or you may continue. Or people who are intellectual may go straight to the concept without having to plow through the rituals. And so I want to now ask you, since you touched upon this, that this philosophy is what is important. You know, we are in this festive season right now. There's the Shera, now the Diwali is around the corner. There are so many rituals that we follow. Can you tell me a little bit about the key rituals and why do we do them? See, Diwali, Deepavali, the original name is Deepavali. It's a festival of lights. Deepavali is a row of lights. Light represents knowledge. So we, and the Diwali is a festival that uh, denotes or reminds us of two things. One is of Krishna killing the demon Narakasura or Rama coming back to Ayodhya after vanquishing Ravana. So it's basically righteousness over unrighteousness, the victory of righteousness over unrighteousness. Of, of knowledge over ignorance. So you have the positives and the negatives within you. And there is a war, a battle going on between the two, which we experience every day. Yeah. Something in you says, Chaloyar, go to sleep. Something else says, get up and go, go for a walk or whatever. Um, and the firecrackers represent the battle, which takes place at night. And in the morning, when you gain victory over your own negativities, you don a new personality, which is why they wear new clothes. Now all this shopping is, has come out of that. You wear a new set of clothes and what comes out of you when you grow into that personality, enlightenment personality is all sweetness comes out of you. So you distribute sweets to everybody. And you have this sense of oneness, togetherness with people. So everything is done in that spirit of togetherness. Mm. Uh, now, what happens, you know. Yeah, especially in Delhi. So we need to go back to that for various reasons. I mean, fireworks, once you understand the whole thing, you don't need fireworks. You don't need the noise and the pollution and all the rest of it. it once the understanding comes, then you internalize all of this. Early morning bath represents the cleansing of your personality. Um, and when you follow the ritual to whatever extent, it, um, it adds value to some extent. You know, you feel that, you feel the spirit of Diwali, which is oneness. Yeah, no, it's And that oneness should remain the whole year, not just for one day. 
so it's literally like a new year for us right yes it is a new year and then we do lakshmi puja which uh, lakshmi represents prosperity wealth you know uh, it's not india is the only culture in which material things are not looked down upon because anything that has come out of divinity cannot be bad it's the same thing with kama sutra or uh, sex is not viewed as negative it cannot be it's pure it's that which takes you to realization because the uh, the uh, that is why in temples outside temples you had erotic sculptures to denote that that is not evil it's not negative it's divine it's it represents the union with god and okay. ideally it should arise out of um the oneness with the spouse intellectually you're in sync spiritually you're in sync emotionally you feel from the depth of your being for the other person which then automatically or naturally progresses into a physical act it doesn't start with that yeah this is great this is what we should be thinking about yeah. you know you spoke about and then about- it becomes pure you know and what is negative about what is dirty about yes no very true uh, you spoke about sacrifice and i also want to talk about struggle mm-hmm. and from that struggle comes a lot of stress and anxiety and what i hear you hear you heard you say is that if it's a divine gift then why should we worry about it so tell me a little bit more about maybe something that you have faced in your life where you struggled and you sort of really leaned on your teachings uh, and and the vedanta and the bhagavad gita that helped you come out of it in a far bigger way or larger way than you had imagined for yourself see the gita stresses on action that is the struggle that you put in your best and try to do your best do perform perfect action and avoid mistakes that is all that you can do the fruit the result is not in your hands yeah so to that you surrender what is not under your control there's no point thinking of what is under your control is the action so every action give your best not expecting the fruit and when you don't expect the fruit it when it has to come it comes if it doesn't happen you just understand its time hasn't come mm-hmm. it was not meant to be so it didn't happen but i have already got the fruit of my action you know which is a sense of fulfillment that i have given my best the two concepts in vedanta one is kritakritya means what you have the satisfaction that what had to be done has been done it's not even about i have done it hmm something had to be done it's been done and you're satisfied and kritartha a sense of fulfillment after the action that nobody can take away from you yeah whether it's going to be a success or not is dependent on so many other factors over which you have no control so as you get into this um mindset then this, there is no struggle every act becomes an act of fulfillment something that you feel you had to do you've done it finished that's it then you move on you move on to the next action but when you act like this amazingly you meet with serendipitous experiences 
what Wordsworth called in daffodils, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils. So wonderful positive experiences come your way, which you never thought of, which you, you didn't expect. But they come as a result of the law of karma. You, know? you have acted in this spirit. So what makes the action perfect is the intention behind it, the motivation behind it. Is it pure? Like a child. A child can't do anything without making mistakes. It can't take a morsel of food and put it in its mouth without those food spreading all over onto its clothes. But it's so beautiful to watch. It's so divine. Because of the intention, the motivation is pure. So when your focus is on that, let my intention be pure. Then whatever happens, happens. How have you seen that? play out in your life or maybe in somebody else's stories because why I'm pushing you on this is that we often read these things and while we get inspired in that moment that uh, it sort of just dissipates very quickly because we don't see real impact or we don't see an outcome and we are all very in this culture you know like this hustle culture this outcome impact oriented culture we want to see what did it do for Jayaji and then we're like oh if it can do that for her it will do it for me so that's why I'm pushing you a little bit on it yeah you know um, I can give various examples from my own life and from the life of others also um, every morning I go for a walk after studying I wake up at four and do my you know study and Thing, research and all that. One day I was walking and I said, what am I doing? I'm speaking to 35, 50, 200, 500 people. What impact is it going to have on the country? We need to go mass media, TV. In those days, social media wasn't there. Then I came back to reality. I said, but I don't know any of these media moguls. So just come back to what you're doing. But you won't believe it. The very next day, I happened to be in someone's office. Nothing to do with media. And a man walks into that person's office and this person introduces us and says, he's got a TV channel. And that guy says, okay, you're having lectures uh, next week. I'm going to send my man. I'll record it and it's going to come on TV. That was Astha channel. Oh, wow. What a story. <laughs> this is how it happened. I didn't even know of its existence. He didn't know of my existence. You know, this is it. This is what I mean by serendipity. And I had no, um, I have never had this feeling that, oh, I must be famous or I'm building a brand for myself. I'm just, I've benefited from the knowledge of Vedanta immensely. And I just want to share this knowledge to save other people from the suffering that they are inflicting on themselves. This is my motivation. So it came on TV, it spread like wildfire. Yeah, this is a classic example of what you said earlier, right? If your goals align with the larger goal of society, of the world, things will just happen yes. for you. You know, what we call, so to say, to be in that flow state where you're just so well aligned with what your purpose is, things will happen and you can't even take claim to it because you know deeply you've done nothing. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. It's just unraveled it's for you. Divinity. Even when I speak, it's not me. It's a force be beyond me that is speaking through me. I genuinely believe that. No, I can feel it. Because uh, otherwise it would never happen. 
there is a saying of Christ that I remember from my school days. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And right through my life, I've tried to, I don't say I've succeed, succeeded, but I've tried to maintain that purity of heart. And I've seen it. People who are pure in heart, you know, with no uh, agenda behind what they're doing. God seems to take care of them. Yeah. Maybe that's also a wake-up call that if you feel like you are doing everything the right way and somehow things are not falling for you in the in the way that you imagine them, you need to take a rethink of what you're doing. Yes. And look at your ego. You know, the Kenopanishad gives a story. Very few Upanishads give the stories. You know, Upanishads are cryptic um, words of wisdom. So it's about the war between the gods and the demons and the gods win victory over the demons. So they have a celebration. As they're doing bottoms up, they see uh, an apparition in the sky, Yaksha. All celebration comes to an end because gods are supposed to be all-knowing and they don't know what this is. So they send the first emissary, Vayu, wind god. No, fire, Agni. So the apparition asks him, who are you? <laughs> he feels insulted. A fire is going and he says, here is someone who is saying, who are you? He says, I am fire, ugly. Second question, even more humiliating. What do you do? Agni <laughs> <laughs> yeah. says, I can burn anything in the universe. He places a blade of grass before him and says, can you please burn this for me? Agni thinks it's by heart ka khel. Nothing happens. All his mighty tries. The blade of grass does not, temperature doesn't go up by even one degree. He comes back. First, opening batsman out for a duck. <laughs> Second, Vayu. Wind god. Can you imagine wind coming towards you? Yaksha says, who are you? Same story. He says, I'm Vayu. What do you do? I can toss the planets around. Blade of grass. Can you please blow this? Can't. Second batsman out. Then the gods realized this is something really important. So they said, nothing to do with inferior gods. We'll send Indra, god of gods. Indra goes this time with a difference, with humility. When Indra goes with humility, the yaksha disappears. But he doesn't give up. He stands there looking at that place. And in the yaksha's place comes the dazzling Uma goddess of spirituality. He's not taken up with her beauty or uh, appearance or brilliance. He says, what was it that was here in your place? Chapter ends. Next chapter, the answer is given. That which you saw was Brahman. So what is the meaning behind it? You know, there are two things in this. One is with the organs of perception, you can't see God. Because Yaksha disappears. Second, to the extent you forget God's role in your life, God switches off. So he's not paying attention to you. God switched off. He, he couldn't burn the blade of grass. He couldn't blow the blade of grass. So when things go wrong in your life, you must think, where have I gone wrong? In my attitude? In my outlook? Am I selfish? Am I egoistic? That you need to take care of. Because 
now when things go wrong what do we do maybe i need one more degree i go to harvard business school <laughs> with the same ego the same stupidity the same selfishness same arrogance how on earth are you going to do any better yeah that's why when this guy went to uh, steve jobs mark zuckerberg mm-hmm, went to mm-hmm. steve jobs and said i want to be as successful as you what do i do he doesn't say go to wharton or harvard he says go to india to an ashram why precisely for this amazing so this is what we need to communicate to people that there is a gold mine of knowledge available which belongs to us this is our inheritance and it is available for free <laughs> everything i do is for free that we won't take americans will come pick it up from us which is what they're doing and now all the new age gurus are spouting words of wisdom which they've just gleaned one or two points from vedanta and selling it for a price they will buy we will also buy yes <laughs> with pride like yoga which is why swami vivekanand when he was criticized for lecturing in america and uk he said the only way of getting indians to study vedanta is via the americans it is so it was true then it's true today it will be true 200 years from now yeah i hope that changes i really hope and pray and i think we are realizing more and more the value of what we have and i think it's uh, people like you who are also helping us bridge that gap but when i somebody who's listening to this or has heard your lecture and feels like okay this is it now i want to start my journey i want to start now i want to start tomorrow what are the 3 4 5 things that you will tell them to start immediately so that a lot of this knowledge can begin to unravel because this is infinite where do i begin see there is knowledge all over you must have the desire to gain the knowledge then you pick it up. sure uh you and you must have value for the knowledge you must primarily want to become a better person you must be aware that oh i'm getting angry i'm get i am selfish yeah. i my values are questionable i'm doing wrong things i don't want to do them i i feel uncomfortable i want to become a better person once you have that desire then you find your way because the knowledge is there everywhere and there are everyone must understand that there are different types of people who need different pathways yeah so there are the emotional people who need the path of devotion there are intellectual people who tend to ask questions who need vedanta i mean vedanta is all encompassing actually who need uh, knowledge who need to study then there are people who just need to work karma yoga work for a higher cause like our prime minister apparently for years did just that service yeah. that purifies your personality so you have to find the right match you can't do it because my brother did it or my cousin did it this is highly individualized second very important thing stay away from quick fixes if someone promises that in 7 days you will change it's not going to happen i just heard 21 days kundalini ah. experience and what not see 
even if you want to lose weight it takes time can you do it in 21 days yeah <laughs> <laughs> when you hate a person to convert that to love takes years to educate yourself to earn a degree takes 16 years anywhere in the world yeah now you want spirituality with someone putting his hand on your head how can you believe such stuff so well put so unfortunately there are people out there who are promising all kinds of things all kinds of shortcuts so you must select wisely select the path wisely select a mentor wisely do you have any tips on how to do that like not a checklist but some guidance that you can give on how do you select the right path for you how do you evaluate the right guru for yourself number 1 it must ring true to you you know it's free from all this razzle dazzle uh, on the surface something about what the person says or the vibes or something must connect with you with the depth of your personality then you must be willing to work hard because no one can do it for you even the most brilliant guru can't do what you have to do and then you'll get there yeah surrender to that yeah. path trust Stick it to it see you want to become a doctor you have even if you don't join the best medical college you join join some medical college stick to it for 5 years or whatever that course is you'll become a doctor yeah but you will never become a doctor if you spend 3 months in one college 6 months in another college that's what people are doing jumping yeah see our purpose is basically to find ourselves we've lost ourselves we being lost you know i i meditate and our global guide uh, kamlesh patel who we know fondly call as daji he said you know we constantly talk about finding god the point is god is not lost we are lost yeah. and it just completely you know put me in a different you know mindset because we constantly are saying god is lost no no we are lost we need to find our path and so really looking ahead for you you know you've already done this for so many years you've changed people's lives you've given them some purpose some goals some uh, you know tapping into that spiritual uh, focus that you're talking about how do you see doing more and more of this for yourself in the coming years and and what are some of the ways where we can reach out to you and learn much more um i think the focus has shifted already to that which i'm going to leave behind hmm? uh because this thing of lecturing and all that is temporary it uh, it will go away but permanent things like the books you write or the the people you train the people you inspire uh remain and they will inspire more so i think the shift has already taken place towards that end the second shift is towards the young which is what i'm dedicated to and i think we are uh, about to roll out uh, programs for school children in schools that are willing to have these programs and once it starts and once it pays dividend it will spread yeah much needed for sure because more and more pe- parents are now beginning to understand that marks is not all that matters painfully so there are other aspects that are more important how do they handle their emotions how do they handle the turbulent teenage years 
how do they handle the temptations that the world is providing them i mean i really feel sorry for them because we didn't have all these temptations and still many of us went wrong i mean how do they keep their heads on their shoulders is a miracle <laughs> yeah i'm glad you're empathizing with yeah. them <laughs> yeah and i often tell them that the kids are not to blame it's the parents it's the parents who are trying who put pressure on the kids who try to vicariously live their ambitions through their children and the first thing i tell them is uh, how can they be super uh, intelligent and get all 99% marks after all they have your genes <laughs> <laughs> yeah so if they're slightly better than you thank your stars <laughs> yeah and stop putting pressure on them it doesn't work let them be let them figure their path give them inspiration you live a life of inspiration first of all and then um expose them to various things and somewhere they'll pick it up yeah so and be when, examples yes which is the tough thing it's easy to put pressure on a child and it's showing the disastrous results there are mental health issues that children are going through suicides 11 year olds are committing suicide i would hang my head in shame if i were a parent of such a child because then the responsibility is entirely the parents you know you speak about suicides the amount of suicides that are happening in kota which we are recently reading about it's uh, very sad as a society that we are moving in that direction yes. because of external pressures you see all this would not happen if you followed the basic prescription given in the bhagavad gita which is find your swadharma find your talent everyone need not be a doctor or an engineer to be successful you know you may be good at music you may be good in art you may be good in athletics you may be good in cricket or tennis and there is enough place for all of these in the world but if everyone decides i want to join iit then there's a problem <laughs> yeah so and then they complete that course and say i'm miserable i mean it's interesting you spoke about swadharma but how does a young person really find their swadharma oh that's not difficult you only have to look back into your past as a child what attracted you what is it that you did not want to leave when your parents called you to dinner what is it that uh, totally enthralled you um and you can actually write down on a piece of paper what were your main interests from childhood onwards and keep it aside after two or three weeks repeat that exercise without referring to the earlier no and do it three or four times and you'll find one or two things keep popping up these are the most powerful things so your list has got shortlisted and from the two you choose the more powerful one and if need be you can always change yeah but with this you have a fair idea of what's happening inside you and what really excites you and you pursue it you know i'll ask you this a little bit more about what should that list look like because i'll tell you why i have realized after doing a lot of these exercises that list does not look like i want to be a public policy head or an engineer or a doctor i think for me the list has also evolved over a period of time to look at what mom are my strengths so what i mean is that it looks more like i like interacting with people and then from there you think about what are the careers that involve 
this particular skill because then the whole world opens up to you as opposed to i only want to be a doctor and an engineer and then when you go down that path you realize that you need a lot many more skills apart from the technical nerdy skill that you have which you love no i don't mean i want to become a doctor engineer yes, things I, like that yeah. i mean what excited you yes like maybe drawing excited you or uh, music excited you or i don't know just meeting with people excited you or just being by yourself excited you so from that you evolve so what does that list look like for you today today it's only one yeah <laughs> but uh, when i was a student i wanted very much to be a doctor i had a definite interest in the medical profession i even got admission to a medical college but uh, then something told me this is not for you so i didn't join and everyone thought i was mad so obviously the the passion for vedanta was there lurking but i did not think of it as a as a vocation as something that i could do full time because in my mind i had oh you had to go to an ashram or the himalayas you know it took time but i got to it eventually then i became a corporate executive i did microbiology instead then i did management and those few years i knew what i did not want but i did not know what i wanted till i arrived at this pretty soon it may have taken me 5 or 6 years but it was well worth it no i mean and i'm glad you mentioned this because everyone has this perception of i can only be self a self realized soul or achieve atma gyan if i go into the himalayas right that i can't do it in this regular materialistic world that i have so this integrative approach that you spoke about is 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 incredible not at all you have to do it as you are where you are because if you can't find that peace like gandhi ji said if you can't find shanti in ashanti then you can't find shanti anywhere so if you want happiness and you can't find it in mumbai you're not going to find it in delhi or kolkata or the himalayas because it's within you it's like if i have malaria going to delhi is not going to help me uh no this conversation has been incredible for me i've learned so much uh you know if there's anything you feel you would like to add to it i'd love to hear uh, but i think i've pretty much gone through all of my questions and i've absolutely uh, loved this discussion you shared so much about how we can change our lives almost from tomorrow onwards yes uh, you know start leading a life which is more focused towards the collective good um, and think less of ourselves less of taking more of giving uh, which i absolutely love so thank you so much for sharing thank you it's been my pleasure and all i can um, reassure you, through you all your listeners is that at any point in time if anyone needs a little helping hand or a piece of advice or whatever i'm always there reach out to me anytime and uh, i'll be happy to help no we need it we uh, we need to be on your youtube channels mm. we need to listen to many more of your lectures because i think in this mad world that we are in at least those moments center us or act like that key that you spoke about uh, and remind us of why we are here thank you thank you <laughs>